phone, if you have an app on your phone with a Bible, then you can go there. If you have Angry Birds on your phone, don't do it. Okay, so we're in First John, chapter two. This has been uh, good for me. I, I believe it's been good for you. Because God's word is good. It is good. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to just um, I'm going to read through First uh, John two eighteen to twenty seven. We're going to have it on the screen there as well, I believe. Uh, and then I will then I will get into what I... I'm going to try to break it down because it's a long passage, but I just want to read it together to, just to start us off. Okay? Children. Can you say, that's me? Okay. Children. It is the last hour... And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so many, many Antichrists have come. I know that's, start, that's a scary start to this little reading of the passage because that's a weird word, isn't it? It's kind of creepy. But don't get lost on me. I, I'm with you. I understand, okay? As you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are all, they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. Say anointed. And you have knowledge. You all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are here with us. Thank you for your promise. Lord, and as we um, are here and as I get to share, I pray, Lord, that you would um, work, that you would uh, take the words and your word and allow it to do things in people's hearts today because we're all at different places experiencing different things and I have no idea what's going on in everybody's lives lord but I thank you for the that you can encounter them and they can encounter you in this moment and so I pray that you would speak lord in this place and we would have ears to hear in Jesus name amen yes 
Was that a hard passage? Who thinks that was a hard passage? Can you imagine if you had to come up and stand up here and talk about this passage? What would you say? This is why um, uh, going through a book of the Bible is challenging. As a preacher, it's amazing to just go and hit things that you think you already know. But when you try to go through a book of the Bible, you come upon things that are a little bit different than what you normally would want to spend time thinking about and talking about to people. So I find that really cool. And, um, and so don't be scared of the Bible, you know, when you don't know what's going on. It's such an amazing opportunity because it's God's Word, and there's stuff in there that we need to learn from and challenge ourselves. And so anyway, I don't want to ramble on that, but this is how I feel. I, I felt like, oh, Lord, what am I getting into um, speaking on this m- message? And, um, but I, I feel like I uh, have some st- stuff that he's given me today that I believe will be helpful to us. Amen? Amen over here? And a woman? Okay. Can we do the next slide? To-do list. How many people here do a to-do list? How many people here do not do a to-do list? How many people here do not raise hands in church? Wow. Okay. There are um, four kinds of tasks. Okay? This is going to be so helpful to you in your normal life. Okay? (laughs) Especially those of you that uh, do to-do lists. All right? There are things that can be on your list that are important and pressing. There can be things on your list that are important and not pressing. Uh, There can be things on your list that are unimportant and pressing. And there can be things on your list that are unimportant and not pressing. You with me? (laughs) No, that's all right. All right. Well, let's talk about the first one, important and pressing. So if you, like I'm thinking about for myself, I wake up and my wife says, no, the dog is gone. All of a sudden, I know that's an important and pressing thing that I need to do. I probably need to put on my little hoodie, my shoes, go outside and find the dog. Right? That's, that's simple. Right? Or you're driving down the road and there are blue lights flashing behind you with a siren. That is an important pressing need. You need to take action. Or if you're in college and tomorrow you have a paper due, probably you should start. Because it's an important pressing need. Then, so those are, those are pretty clear. Like we don't have a problem distinguishing those, right? Most of us anyway. Then there are things that are unimportant and not pressing. So I kind of categorize um, watching the whole 23 episodes of that show that I love, that's probably a thing on your list that's unimportant and not pressing. Spending hours on social media or in January eating that whole box of biscuits that are taking up cupboard space because somebody gave you those biscuits, probably unimportant and not pressing need 
God bless you. We have this problem in my house. So, okay, so those are fairly simple to distinguish. Uh, Not as easy as the third one, things that are unimportant but pressing. And uh, I think about those, probably a great example in our day is the notifications on your phone, right? You're doing your school project, and you're starting to get somewhere, and then ding, and you totally lose it because you got to see, oh, somebody posted their breakfast for me on Instagram. Wonderful. And then you totally lose, right? So it's, that's the kind of a thing that is unimportant, but it's pressing. It's trying to get your attention. And our world is full of this because um, if you don't uh, pick, choose where your attention is, somebody else will love to choose it for you, okay? So you got to be intentional about that. So it's important to learn how to turn off the notifications on your phone. Hallelujah. If you don't know how to do that, ask a teenager. They, they will help your life. These teenagers can be very helpful. Okay, so that's the third one. But probably the most important, uh, but also probably the hardest is to distinguish those things that are important but not pressing. Okay, so an example of those things would be changing the oil on your car. Important but not pressing, hopefully, if you do it regularly. Uh, Going on a date with your wife. Can I get an amen? It's important, but it may not be pressing in the moment. You may not feel like it's spending time with your children. Men, forgive me. I'm sorry. I know some of you don't like to go on dates. You're like me. You like to stay home. But it's okay. Don't... Don't forgive me because I'm blessing you. A happy wife, happy life. I'm telling you. Okay. Take your wife on a date. I'm telling you. It's good for you. It's going to be good for you. It's important. Okay. Spending time with your children. Okay, but do you see these things, these three things? Change the oil on your car. Take your wife on a date and spend time with your children They may not be pressing, but if you don't do them, they will become pressing. Because your car is going to destroy itself, your marriage may implode, and your children may have no relationship with you. And when they leave, they're never going to come talk to you again, right? So these are important, but not pressing. And so it's really important to have the clarity of mind to figure out what are those things that aren't pushing me for my attention, but I really need to spend time investing in them. Okay, so those are my four things. Is that helpful? Yes, and I haven't even got super spiritual yet, but that's helpful to your life. Okay, so those are the four things. So learn to distinguish. The first and last are easy. The third takes a bit of clarity and discipline. But the second is absolutely vital to growth and wisdom. 
And so the title of the, what I want to talk about today is, um, I, don't, I don't know. Let's see what the screen tells us. Living with a sense of urgency. Are you getting stressed yet? A, urgency. This is the definition in the Google Dictionary. Requiring immediate action or attention. This is what urgency is. To live, let me just clarify what urgency is not. To live with urgency is not panic. Everybody say, don't panic. Don't panic. The challenge is to live with urgency so that you don't reach the place of panic. Okay? But in order to not reach that place of panic, you've got to live with a sense of urgency. And I'm going to describe a few things that uh, will help us live with a sense of urgency um, that this scripture talks about. And um, panic is sudden a- anxiety, often causing wildly unthinking behavior. I love that definition. Panic, sudden anxiety often causing wildly unthinking behavior. Oh, I got to do something. Where's my dog? Oh, my goodness. He's probably down the road. He probably got run over by a car. I got to go. I got to run out there. And, you know, panic. But to live with urgency is to understand and act with intentionality on what is important. Do you do that? Do you know how to intentionally act on those things that are important? This is... This is the question today. So there's three, um, there's three ingredients that I got in from this passage of Scripture that I want to talk about uh, living with urgency. So I, I, I want to, three points today, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go very fast through these points. Are you ready? All right. The time of urgency, the focus of it, urgency, and the intensity of urgency. Let's look at the scripture again, the very first one, John 2, 18. He says, Children, it is the last hour. So I'm going to talk about the time of urgency. Can you put that first point up? Um, The time of urgency. How many know or have seen that there are... uh, prophets of doom on the TV and the internet and stuff, right? If we do not learn how to get our population growth under control, our planet is going to destroy itself. If we don't learn how to stop using all our resources, our planet is going to destroy itself. If we don't do ABC, we are going to all disappear, Who's seen that? Anybody seen that? Yeah. Okay, you've heard the news. Um, so my point is, is with that, is, is that, uh, let me just say, first of all, proper stewardship of our earth is an important thing for us to do. Amen. That's a godly thing to do, take care of the earth. God's given it to us, it's under our care. Uh, but my point with talking about the prophets of doom that I see that aren't necessarily believers is that our current culture totally understands about living with a sense of urgency, an awareness of time. 
And <clears throat> the Bible teaches us that time is moving toward an end. And this is what John is saying. He's saying, children, it is the last hour. And he, God's not super concerned about seconds and minutes and hours. But what he's trying to say is throughout the Bible you see in the, in, in the New Testament particularly, it talks about that these are the last days. And then, then it goes on to say, sometimes they say stuff like, these are the last of the last days. You, you've heard that before. Okay. And John says, children, it is the last hour. And so what he's saying is that there is coming a moment when everything is going to change. So I want to show you this picture of the biblical viewpoint of time. Are you ready? Let's show that next slide, please. Creation. God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. Then there was humanity's fall. And then in Christ, he came, died on the cross, dealt with humanity's problem, which is sin. And all that overflows out of that. He dealt with that on the cross. It's redemption. And then one day, he's coming again. This is what our Bible talks about. And there's going to be a restoration where God's going to fix everything. And for some of us, that's scary. But you know what? It's supposed to be super joyful for Christians. One day, God is going to come. And all those things that just mess me up, throw me for a loop, God's going to fix them. There'll be no more tears. You know, our relationships will be healed. We'll be with God forever. We have an eternal hope. And so this is the story that he's talking about. And when John says it's the last hour, he's talking about the time between when Christ died on the cross and when it's going to be restored. These are the last days. Okay? So that, that's his point. Uh, humanity is moving towards a destination. And it's a time of urgency. Say urgency. Consider that. Have you thought lately about something urgent happening? Living with a sense of urgency? Maybe you're not thinking about that. I, you know, for these, uh, in, in terms of important and not pressing you know what a really good way to, um, to achieve that is, is to create false deadlines for yourself? That's how you get yourself to do what's important when it's not pressing. You create a deadline yourself. Okay, so that's, anyway, that's side note. Or, a number of years ago, <clears throat> back when I was in my 20s, way, decades ago... <laughs> A few people came to me last week or the week before, and they said, Noel, stop talking about your being old at 40. I was amazed. A good few of you did not like me talking about how old I was as if it was old. I'm sorry. I don't feel old. I feel powerful in light of eternity, right? It's not a big deal. I'm 40. Okay. I, I w <laughs> when I was in my 20s, I... I went on a trip with a group of students from my college to um, Napoli, Italy. Uh, the, the mob capital of the world, 
outside of Sicily. I got a lot of stories from that trip, but the one of the best parts of the story was when we were when we left Italy, we had a layover in London, and we we were in Heathrow Airport, and we had something like twelve hours or something like that. It might have been a little bit more. Uh, and what we did is we got on the I think the underground, and we went in s- as fast as we could, right? Because this was the only this was my first time to Europe, and I was like, whoa, this is amazing. So we got on the under underground. We went and saw Buckingham Palace, Big Ben. We were looking for the Queen everywhere. Didn't see the Queen. We, we just tried to see as much of London as we could in this 12 hours. And we got back on the underground, and we went, and we got back to Heathrow Airport, and we had a few more hours left, and we were all super wrecked because we'd been working on these building projects in Naples. And um, we got in. We had a few hours, and so we found this, like, really secret, dark quiet place near some toilets <laughs> and we all laid down and we all passed out at least i thought all of us passed out i fell asleep and then after maybe an hour or two all that all of a sudden i hear this really loud beeping <coughs> i look up lights are flashing in the airport around us there's this sound going off and all of a sudden a bunch of police officers run up and are with us there. And I'm like, what happened? I fell asleep. And what I found out is that while I was sleeping, one of my friends stayed awake, and he said that he saw this unusual man walk into the toilets. And then a few minutes later, the guy ran out of the toilets. So my friend was like, what, what just happened? So he went into the toilets, and he found that he had lit on fire the toilet roll in the bathroom. And so my friend put it out, put out this fire, and then, but the, the smoke put, put, turned on the fire alarm, and then all the police came running. And uh, it, my point in that story is I was asleep in a situation that possibly, worst case scenario, could have killed me. And this is what John is saying to us, that we are in the last of the last days and we need to have clarity about what is truly important for our lives. Yeah? And there are things that will try to distract you and there are people that are not out for your good. There are concepts and ideas that are bad for you. And this is what John is trying to say. So say time of urgency. Okay, now. Now I want to talk about the focus of urgency. Focus. Uh, Every time there is something really amazing, cool, and awesome, there is a counterfeit too, right? Or uh, knockoffs, right? So like ladies' handbags. If you get uh, what normally is a 200 euro handbag for five euros, probably it wasn't a great deal. It's probably a counterfeit. And <clears throat> have you ever seen those uh, antique shows and stuff like that? When they find an amazing antique, what do they do in order to figure out if it's not a fake? They get an expert. 
And this is who John is in this moment, this church that he's writing to, this group of people that he's writing to. He's the expert coming in and saying, guys, there are these people, he calls them antichrists, who have come in and they've taken the message and they've taken some stuff out, they've added other stuff in, and it's not the real deal. It's a counterfeit. It's a fake. Don't believe it. Stick to the real. And, and so he's trying, to, he's trying to clarify to them that there were some, he says, there were some that were with you, but now they're no longer with you. They've gone out. And this was in order to clarify that they never really were with you because they're teaching a message that is anti-Christ. And so anti-Christ, all that that means is in place of Christ or opposed to Christ. Can you say that one with me now? In place of Christ or opposed to Christ. That's what anti-Christ is. And so I just want you to, for a moment, think about yourself and the things that you listen to other people say, the things that you set your heart towards. Could there possibly be something in your life that is anti-Christ in place of Christ or opposed to Christ. He says in um let, let me read this verse. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And so John wants the church, the the believers, to just have a real clarity of focus. Do you have a clarity of focus? Are you able to distinguish between what is true and what is counterfeit? When somebody comes knocking on your door and says, I would love to do a Bible study with you, do you know how to distinguish if that is a good idea or a bad idea? John says... Find out what they say about Jesus. And that's a wonderful starting place in order to distinguish between what is true and what is a counterfeit in terms of Christianity. Okay? So he's laser-focused clear. And so let me just be clear myself. The, for us today, two examples that would not be focused Christianity are Mormons and Jehovah's Witness. They are not Christians. They were of us and then they've gone out from us. And what they say about Jesus is very different than what we say about Jesus. And there are things, um, as Christians, there are things that are primary, of primary importance, 
And then there are things that are of secondary importance. And we can have distinctions as Christians, right? Not everybody has church services the way we do. And guess what? They can still be Christians. But there is a line. And John is saying that the the line that he's talking about right here is that, that line of who do they say that Jesus is? And for Bible-believing Christians, since the days of the New Testament, since the days of John who walked, like I said, he's the expert. He's the one that spent time with Jesus, one of Jesus' closest friends. He's telling us that we need to know who Christ was, and Christ was God became man. And uh, Mormons don't say that. Let me give you a few things. I, maybe this sounds mean. This isn't mean because I've had some great Mormon friends that are super nice people. So it's not to say that they're bad people or Jehovah's Witnesses are bad people. I, I imagine most of them are super kind and super nice. But they're just wrong about Christianity. Okay, smile with me. Smile. Okay, we love them, but they're wrong. Mormons, who is Jesus? Jesus, to a Mormon, is man who became God. And for Mormons, we can all become gods. And uh, Jesus' half-brother as well as Lucifer. So, not biblical. For Jehovah's Witnesses, who is Jesus? Jesus is the archangel, Michael. He is the created being and not the creator God. You see? Was that a little bit clear? Okay. So, just if somebody comes knocking on your door a great thing that you can ask them is, who's Jesus to you? Okay, it's a good starting place. This is what John's teaching us. Okay, so secondary issues could be, you know, what version of the Bible to read? Are you allowed to play drums in church? You know, stuff like that. But if they get Jesus right, probably they're going to be on a good track. They can get, this is what John is saying. It's a good place to start. Okay. Let me keep going now. Um, Some people will say they're Christians and they just say that Jesus is a nice man. He's not God, but he was a good man. He had some great teachings to give us. Not Christianity. Hinduism says Jesus is not the only God, but one of a multitude of gods. Islam says Jesus was a man. He was a prophet, but he was inferior to Muhammad. So it's very important to have a clear focus on some of these things. I hope this is, I, I believe this is helpful to some of you, okay, and, and it will be helpful to you. And uh, focus is important in our walk with God. I heard about a guy who interviewed an NFL uh, wide receiver. Do you guys know what the NFL is? It's American football. It's where they wear all the pads and the helmets, you know, the, the wimpy, you know, real men play rugby and Irish football. No, they're crazy and they're massive. They got these helmets and pads, and uh, a guy was interviewing a wide receiver, and a wide receiver is the one that their job is to run and catch the ball, right, and bring it into the end zone. So he says, he said, he, he wasn't thinking very clearly, but he said, what's it like making $10 million a year, and your one job is to catch a ball and sometimes drop it? And he said, after he said it, he was like, uh-oh. This guy could crush me. Why did I just say that? But the guy, the guy said, the, the wide receiver said, 
that uh, if the ball is thrown right, if it's thrown correctly, there's only two things that will stop me from catching it. Fear or greed. The first one is fear. This ball is coming at me, but at the same time, there's a 400-pound man who can run as fast as a track athlete whose one job is to destroy me. The other thing that will stop me is greed. If instead of focusing on that ball and catching it, keeping the eye on the ball, I think about how I'm going to go to the touchdown and make those points, I lose focus. So I have to do everything in my power to forget about the fear, forget about the greed, and keep my eye on the ball in order to do what I got to do. And so this is what we need. We need laser focus as Christians. And you know what our laser focus is on? It's on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus changes everything. He represents to us that God loves us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even though we rebelled and didn't care about, could care less about God, God came, sent his son to die for our sins so that we could have eternal life. And this is why Christians smile, because we have a God who loves us. Not only that, there's even more. He, God, because of what Christ has done, we have been called children of God. And now we can pray, and our Heavenly Father hears us. He does stuff like gets our brother to call us back on the phone who hasn't been speaking to us for ages. He touches our family and friends and moves in their lives when we ask him. It's amazing. And so John is telling us to keep our eye on what's most important. So a life of urgency has your eye on what's most important. It's focused. The last one is intensity, the intensity of urgency. And um, really, for for me, this uh, this is about power, the power of God with us. There's this one line in 1 John 2, verse 20, and, it's, and it just simply says, you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. And if you're a Christian here, you've trusted in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for your sins, was raised, and one day you'll be with him that you've repented of your sins, you've turned to him, then this is what John has to say to you. You have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. That's an amazing little promise that he throws in there. And um, I actually have no notes from here on out, but I just want to just kind of stop on that for a moment, that this is so important that you have been anointed. And uh, in the Old Testament, when, uh, when God wanted to choose priests, he anointed them, Aaron and his brothers. And the priests were to represent God to the people. 
And you have been, if you're a Christian, you have been anointed by the Holy One. Priests. And in the Old Testament, there's a moment where there's this prophet named Samuel, and God said to him, go to the house of Jesse, and I'm going to tell you who to anoint, who's going to be the king. And so Jesse, or, uh, Samuel went there. He ended up anointed David. He said that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him from that day on. And he became king, and everything started to kind of click for David. Things started working, where before they didn't, there wasn't, it wasn't quite the same. And then something totally changed when he got this anointing. And John says to you, you are anointed king. And in the New Testament, it says that we are a royal priesthood. Yeah? Just an amazing thing. Uh, I also just want to read one of my favorite passages is in Isaiah 61, uh, a moment that Jesus inaugurates. Because I want to, I, for some of you, I think this is really important for you to, to get into your heart. I know it is for me. But it's this truth that you are anointed. You are anointed. God is with you. This is what Jesus uh, quoted when he entered, um, when he started speaking about his entry into his ministry. He said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. I love this. The oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Let me read now 2 Corinthians 1.21. You are anointed. 2 Corinthians 1.21. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. And he has anointed us. And who has also put his seal on us. And given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And so I love this. That we have the Holy Spirit. And um, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with the living God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. And you know things. That's what John says. And so when counterfeit comes, God's going to tell you, that's a counterfeit. Don't believe it. 
what an amazing promise that we have the Holy Spirit. So let's stand together. Yannick, can you come play? Play something? Let's just... uh, I just want to um, take a moment and together just wait on the Lord just for a minute. I know I've gone a little bit long, but let's just take a minute. Holy Spirit, thank you, Lord. We come to you today, Father, by faith. Thank you that you are a rewarder of those who seek you, Lord. And we thank you for this promise of the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for what you want to do in our lives and that we have been called to be a holy priesthood, that we are representatives of you, And, Lord, that you've given us amazing resources through your Spirit and your Word. And so now, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you will come and touch my friends here today. Lord, Holy Spirit, fill them, strengthen them, give them wisdom where they need it. Thank you, Lord, that we depend on you. Thank you that we have a calling, we have a mission. Lord, and in order to fulfill what you've called us to do, we need your power in order to do it. And so, Lord, we seek you today. We ask for your help. Take us to where you want us to be, Lord. We, th- we thank you for the word today, Lord, that this is the time. Help us to have the right focus on what's most important. Lord, help us to live our lives for the glory of your name, Lord, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. All right. I think what I want to do is um, uh, I want us to dismiss, but I'm going to ask Dominica and maybe the worship team to do um, Build My Life. Would you do that one? And uh, so we're dismissed. You can collect your kids. But if you would like prayer, I would like to anoint people with oil, if you would like that. And just that uh, as an outward demonstration of what God has done in your life, that you are anointed, okay? So if you would like that, you can come to the front. Come on in, and it will anoint you with oil. We'll pray over your life. And amen. We also have tea and coffee. If you'd like a cup of tea and coffee, hang out. All right. Do it, Dominica. <laughs>